Well, a very good evening to you on this Sunday evening as we continue on God's Word. And tonight we're considering the passage from Luke chapter 24 that Mark and Emma read for us earlier in our online service. So if you want to have that open, Mark chapter 24 from verse 13 onwards, that would be helpful. As we come to our second meal of the day described in Luke chapter 24, we need to be very aware that this is a meal that leaves two of the dinner guests with severe heartburn and needing to walk it off on a seven mile journey afterwards. So can we really commend it to you as a meal that's worth attending tonight? As we stated this morning in observing Jesus throughout Luke's gospel, we either find him at a meal, going to a meal, or coming from a meal. Luke chapter 24 describes the events of Easter Sunday. And as we catch up with these two disillusioned followers of Jesus along the road to Emmaus, over this weekend, they have already watched their beloved Jesus crucified, laid in a grave. They had witnessed his disciples scatter and then reunite in this group in the upper room behind closed doors for fear of the authorities. And on this Sunday morning, they'd also be confronted by a group of women making some outrageous claims and notions that having been to Jesus' tomb, he was no longer there. One of the pair in this chapter is named Cleopas, you read of that in verse 18, and his traveling companion have left the city and they've also left because the man they had pinned all their hopes in, who would deliver so much, had failed in so many ways and was just another fake Messiah. I wouldn't be at all surprised that this journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus was a walking away from all of that. These guys had taken to their feet, got up and left. The Jesus chapter of their lives was closed once and for all. It was time to move on and get over it. And the sooner they did that, the better. And as Jesus himself meets them, and begins to walk alongside them in verse 15. They were on a journey, but that journey was a journey full of nothing but shattered dreams. Shattered dreams. That's our first point tonight. Shattered dreams. All summarized in the little phrase that they blurt out in verse 21. Do you see it? But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped Hope was gone. They openly confessed their disappointment to the stranger who surprisingly seemed to know nothing about all that had gone on in Jerusalem over those last few days. And they told Jesus in no uncertain terms that Jesus was obviously not the Messiah they'd hoped for. Do you see the comedy and the irony in all of this? They told Jesus that Jesus was not all that he had promised to be. These folks had already given two to three years of their lives following Jesus, working with him, learning from him. And now in the space of just 36 hours, poof, all gone. Smoke, dead. How they hoped for a redeemer who would set them free from the Roman occupation and the suppression of their rights. They were faithful and longed for a revival of the true worship of God that that would be restored and people would come with hearts and minds and truly worship the Lord their God. But now they'd grown tired of the authorities, grown disillusioned with the religious authorities 
and the political authorities. They had craved something new, something fresh, something exciting, something revolutionary, something to restart and kickstart the true faith in Israel. They longed for a restoration of the kingdom of Israel, a true redeemer promised from the Old Testament. Interesting that this time last week, they had been joining with the crowds, waving their palm branches and proclaiming that Jesus is the son of David, the messianic king that they'd all been waiting for. But now they were slinking back up the road and this time they were walking back in defeat. A king crucified couldn't establish a new kingdom. And as they walk these seven miles, they're bouncing ideas back and forth. Verses 14 and 15, they're talking amongst themselves about the what-ifs and the might-have-beens, full of questions. Where did it all go wrong? And as they walk along their journey, along the way, they keep asking, and what was it all about anyway? What was all this for? Their dreams shattered in a million pieces. And there's a sense in which that question continues to ring around our world today. What is this all about? So many of us stand where these disillusioned disciples stand, saying, we had hoped. Oh, we had so many hopes. But look at us now. Dreams are shattered in all sorts of unexpected ways, aren't they? When an accident jeopardizes a career. Or an engagement or long-term relationship is called off. Where an illness threatens our planning. Or a flunked exam means we can't do the course that we wanted. A sudden change in global markets or the local economy. And prices dip, sales plummet and overheads become far too much to bear. Never mind a global pandemic that sweeps the world and causes shutdown, separation and a sudden end of school and employment like none of us have ever since before feeling let down even by those that we thought actually cared for us i have lost count how many times i myself have said or i've heard others say to me on the phone we had hoped to we had hoped to go on holiday we'd hoped to be at that wedding we'd hoped to go and visit friends in england we had hoped to catch up, etc., etc. But our plans have now changed. We had hoped, and it's gone. But you see, we all too often live like it's Easter Saturday or early Easter Sunday morning, and God is dead. That is how many of us live. The Savior is still lying in his tomb, and he's powerless and helpless and the life is drained from him, and as a result, it's drained from us, and our hopes are dashed. And where is God? Well, he just seems to be lying there doing nothing. And so we try to get on, stumbling through, even going back to what we thought we knew best, and we try and we live without him because we don't believe that he's there. And if he is, he's helpless and lifeless and useless. What are the we had hoped for moments in your life? You see, hope is a little bit like a window pane. It's clear enough, but if your focus is not dead straight on a window pane, even slightly off, you end up seeing a reflection of yourself and everything that's behind you. Instead of seeing clearly through that window, 
what is before you. And for this couple on the Emmaus Road, they were not able to see the resurrection hope standing right there before them. As Jesus stood there, all they saw were their broken dreams around them. They weren't looking through the window pane straight. In the middle of it all, they felt deserted and disappointed whilst the risen Jesus is standing right next to them. Spanish artist Diego Valquez once depicted the Emmaus meal in a painting called Kitchen Maid with Supper in Emmaus, the original title. And in the original, Jesus and these disciples feature in the top left-hand corner of the painting. But the central picture, the central character in this masterpiece is the maid preparing the meal. She stands there in the foreground in the kitchen with the risen Lord Jesus behind her. And the artist has depicted right at the front of the scene a piece of rag from the kitchen as the central focus to catch the eye. Now, over the years, this painting was trimmed and Jesus and the disciples were completely cut out from it, only for it to be recovered and restored in 1933. But here's the thing. For 300 years, that painting was admired and people looked at it with Christ edited out of the original. Jesus wasn't there. The Bible story was all blotted out and we were all left in the master place was the washing up, the dirty old kitchen rag in the foreground. Tim Chester explains the significance of this. He says, all we're left with is rags. Yet this is where we belong, at the sink with rags. For we live in a broken world. Christ's resurrection is the promise of the new world that is yet to come. But we have not yet received that resurrection body. And our world has not yet been renewed. We live in a world that is still under the curse of sin. And these coronavirus days remind us that the world is not as it should be. Neither is it as it once was. But also the quaking of this world through this pandemic reminds us that it's not what it ultimately one day will be. For we live in a world of shattered dreams. We live in a world of, oh, we hope for's and the what ifs and the might have beens. But here's the thing. Jesus joins them on that journey. Jesus walks right into their lives with their dreams lying in pieces all around them. And he draws alongside and he gives them time and he gives them space to tell their story. Despite the fact he already knows it all, he asks and he listens. Oh, what a wonderful counselor. What a mighty God. What a loving father to draw alongside. And to draw out from these broken children of his. What's wrong? Oh, how we've so much to be thankful for. That the risen Christ has a habit of drawing close when we are broken and bruised and bereaved. For how many of us can testify to that truth. That when I fear, my faith will fail. He will hold me fast. When the tempter might prevail, he will still hold me fast. And do you notice what Jesus does not do? He does not stand before them like a street preacher with a megaphone shouting, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Don't you see me? Here I am. No. He gets close. 
He takes time. He listens to their concerns. He walks with them in their fear and their faithlessness. And he draws it out of them. And he tenderly brings them back to himself. You see, these men were despairing that the king that they had longed for had died. But what they had not banked on was that was exactly what they needed. The king's ransom was required to pay for their sin. And Jesus comes alongside us and says, don't despair. This is a moment for you to rediscover that your hope is built on my heartache. Your eternal life is established secure as a result of my cruel death. In the weakness and absolute foolishness of the cross, it's there you see my glory, power and wisdom. What a place to find comfort in our shattered dreams in the mangled body of our Saviour, the King of this world, on the cross for us. Oh, how he comes alongside into our broken, shattered world. As 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 reminds us, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Jesus journeys with us in our shattered dreams. Jesus journeys with us in our shattered dreams. Secondly, Jesus restores their hope through Bible study. Jesus restores their hope through Bible study. That has got to be one of the most uncool headings that I have ever used. Come on, some of you are saying at home, make it a little bit more original, Dave. What about the resurrection power that Jesus shows? What about his supernatural appearance? Why bang on about Bible study in the midst of such a wonderful passage like this? Why? Because out of all the things that Jesus could have done with these beleaguered disciples at a moment like this, what does he choose to do? Jesus, God's risen conquering son. What does he choose to do in a moment like this? An Old Testament Bible study beginning with Moses and working through the prophets that we read about in verses 25 to 27. Jesus' challenge was clear. He had to help them adjust to the true perspective to see the true Messiah. I wonder how many of you out there, I'm sure there are lots of you, share a car with another family member. And every time you get in, if the other family member has been using it last, you have to, you know, pull back the seat and move it and you've got to adjust the, the rear view mirror and then you probably press a button at the side to, to readjust the, 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 the wing mirrors and even you might have to change the CD or the radio station to suit your own musical tastes and Jesus does the same. On this journey he gets into the driver's seat and between Jerusalem and Emmaus takes them on a tour throughout the Old Testament from his perspective I mean, like, wow, <laughs> wow, a Bible study with Jesus. I mean, it would be like instead of watching a YouTube clip on how Ronaldo takes his free kicks, when it came to your time in that match, he actually walks on and takes that free kick for you. Or when you want to play that guitar riff or that piano solo at a school concert as you strum away or tinkle the ivories until your guitar hero or piano maestro steps into your place and does it for you perfectly without missing a note or skipping a beat. Jesus teaches these disciples the Old Testament 
the book that verse 27 says is all about him concerning himself. I don't often listen to audiobooks, but I especially like listening to autobiographies that are read by the people who wrote them or listening to books that are read by the actual author. Why? Because they're the writer of the book. They know every intonation and nuance and where their voice should change and what they should emphasize. Why? Because it's their story. They wrote it. And here Jesus takes them through the Old Testament and he explains it to them because not only did he write it, but it points to him. The Old Testament is the autobiography of Jesus. The one who is the perfect high priest, the sinless sacrifice, the spotless lamb, the incredible king, the ruler this world has been craving for since the beginning, the one who would crush the serpent's head, the loving creator who knows what's needed, the victorious conqueror who takes the sting from our most notorious enemy. Only the blood of an acceptable sacrifice would be enough to solve our sin and our separation from God problem. And the implication being that the disciples shouldn't have all been bewildered because the Old Testament leads its readers to a Christ who must die. The disciples were left shattered. Why? Verse 21, they said, we want the Redeemer. Someone who's going to rescue us. But hope has not gone because the Redeemer has died. You see, the message of the gospel is that Jesus had to suffer and die in order to redeem us. Only a Christ who dies in our place can redeem us from the penalty for our sin. Christ crossing to demonstrate to his followers that it was all over and he couldn't be the Messiah. But the scriptures prove that this is exactly the kind of Messiah we need. And we don't just have a gospel that holds up the cross. A saviour crucified for sin is only a half truth, a half gospel. It leaves our dreams shattered still. Jesus was raised to life for our justification. Justification is that law court word that means we're declared right in the sight of the judge. He says, not guilty, free. And the resurrection is such a declaration from God the judge that the price has been paid for sin. Jesus' death was enough. No more is required. Nothing less would satisfy. The resurrection is a little bit like a receipt for the goods that have been paid. We hold that receipt tight because Christ died for our sin and he rose again for our justification. At the resurrection, Jesus walked free. The price had been paid. And if we trust in him, we too will walk free. Luke calls on us to believe in this great reversal. The condemned Jesus is vindicated. The dead one is risen. The shamed one is now glorified. And Jesus takes his disciples through all of this in an Old Testament Bible study. How do we make Christ known to our world? Folks, it's not primarily through singing, beautiful and all as the praise might be, nor testimony, dramatic and all as the story of a sinner saved by grace might be, or dreams, or visions, or YouTube clips, but primarily Christ is known and comes alongside us through the Bible. That's what Jesus uses to prove his identity and is to turn his disciples' mourning into joy. It doesn't sound trendy, but that is God's way. 
And that is where we meet Jesus. In the pages of this wonderful book, he speaks to us boldly, directly through this book. This is where we hear God's voice. Not in some way out man way or some deep spiritual experience that all other churches seem to have. But here in this book, in this way, in fact, speaking of listening to God's word and spending time listening to Jesus reminds me of one other meal. Yes, another meal in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 10. Have a read at it later, Luke chapter 10, 38 to 42. In the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Remember them? Where there Martha is serving, left with all the work, whilst Mary is sitting listening to Jesus in a rapt attention at his feet. Martha gets upset. It appears that her sister is doing nothing to help until Luke says in chapter 10, verse 40, Martha was distracted by much serving. Martha was distracted from Jesus. And Jesus says to her in verse 41, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. The word anxious is the same in Luke's gospel as the words that used in the parable of the sower, where the seed of God's word falls among the thorns. Like being those who hear God's word, but as soon as they hear it, they let the distractions and the anxieties and the cares of this world choke it out. They kill it off. The distractions of this world kill off the good seed of God's word. Like so many of us in church, we do not reject God's word. But I reckon most weeks we get distracted from it. We get thrown off course by the pings and the notifications on our phones. We get distracted from the truth of God's word that we love to hear on a Sunday, but we wake up and forget about it in the worries of Monday. Or the online seals that we need to scroll through, or the holidays that we feel we've missed out on, or what our careers might look like, or the pain that aches us every day. And we get distracted. We don't doubt God's word, but we believe God's word. We believe what it says. But it's that we forget it and ignore it. But oh, how we need it. How we need it. And Jesus says, stop. Stop at Jesus' feet right now. What's he saying to you? I ask you that day. What's, what's Jesus saying to you tonight and in these days? Because Jesus' words are given, this whole book is given to sustain us on whatever road we're traveling on right now. This is the book where we will find the one who offers shelter and renewal and restoration and forgiveness and a future and most of all, hope. Go. Take some time, even later on this evening, alone, and learn from him. Hear the saviour of our souls speak. He has something he wants to say to you. Thirdly, we come to the meal in question in the village of Emmaus. Jesus shapes to move on, but Cleopas urges Jesus to stay and share a meal with them. They find them to be such great and intriguing company and almost a comfort in their shattered dreams. So Jesus restored their hope thirdly tonight in the breaking of bread. Look at verses 30 to 31. 
When he sat at the table with them, he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Luke records endless meals Jesus attended. And as he sits down with this pair, maybe it was Jesus' mannerisms. Might have been the way he prayed and gave thanks by way of grace at the start. It might have been the way he spoke to his father in prayer as though intimate, as though it actually was a son talking to his dad. Maybe it reminded Cleopas of the day that Jesus had taken the bread and broken it and fed the 5,000, giving thanks and sharing it. Or the disciples might have shared with Cleopas and his friend what had happened on the, the night before Jesus died when he took bread and broke it and said, this is my body which is given to you. Or it could have been their eyes fell upon his nail marks as he ripped the bread apart. This man had clearly seen suffering and they saw it in those wounds as he shared the bread. Whatever it was, Jesus was recognized in the breaking of bread. They knew it was him as he sat down to eat with his people. And Jesus is known at the breaking of bread and sharing food with friends and with enemies. Christ is known in community. It was at a meal that their memories of who this man was were jogged again. Through food, they recognized the face of Jesus. Verse 35, he was known to them through the breaking of bread. Jesus had opened their eyes to the true Savior's work along the road and now they see what kind of savior we have as he comes to them side by side and friends if you are someone who is desperately missing the side by side connectedness togetherness of what church is and what church does if you're feeling at a loss even as you sit at home watching this this is still at a distance this is not how it's meant to be in church. We're missing that community. And again, I echo the words of Tim Chester. The Christian community often wears me out, winds me up and drives me crazy. But I also have moments when I look at my brothers and sisters and there I know the presence of Christ. It's not that the communities of Union Road or La Comfort are anything special, for we are not. Yet there are moments when I see Christ among the ragtag people sitting around on a Sunday or meeting in our front room on a Thursday night, seen in the differences and the diversity that is no explanation except the work of God's grace in individual lives. When people's hearts burn as God's word is explained and in love people show that love one to another. As God's people come side by side, as we were encouraging in those early months of this new year to come together, to eat together, to share as Jesus shared with his friends in fellowship. When God's people come together, Christ is there. He is present with his people. And that is why I am missing you and many of you are missing all this as well. That is why empty church buildings break our hearts. For we love and cherish the togetherness and the fellowship with God's people. Let me suggest if you are not missing 
being with God's people on a Sunday, there is something desperately wrong with your heart tonight. Because Jesus loves to be with his people. Sitting beside us and among us and singing loudest of all, as Hebrews 2 verse 11 explains, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brother. Do you hear that? Hebrews 11, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name, O God, to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. That is the church, God's gathering. Jesus says, there I will sing your praise with them. Wow. Wow. No wonder I'm missing that. I'm missing you so much. For it's in that being together, our Savior shows up. but also in a less literal way. Some of our Lord's best visits are those we don't expect. He often appears to us in our lowest times, when a husband or wife has walked out, when a loved one dies, when we're released from work, we just can't figure out what on earth is going on, when a sudden twist in our lives sends us reeling, when lockdown keeps us isolated from those that we love, unintelligible, inexplicable. These are the times when God seems far away when in fact he's closer than ever before. Initially, these two disciples saw the trial and the crucifixion and the burial of Jesus as the death of all their dreams. But by the end of their time with Jesus that day in Emmaus, they saw the same events in a whole new way. They left Jerusalem confused and concerned but they returned to Jerusalem later that day, confident and confirmed. Now they had their own story to tell. Jesus had met them in the rubble. There had been a resurrection. Something wonderfully new had emerged from something so terribly bad. Is that not a word for all of us tonight? God is teaching us. God is showing up in our shattered dreams and he's doing something new. No matter what we make of these disciples, there was one thing they asked that changed everything. Look at verse 29. They pleaded with Jesus. Oh, don't, don't move on. S stay with us, Jesus. He shaped to go on, but they had so much enjoyed his presence and his teaching. They said, stay with us. Stay with us. And so Jesus went in. And he stayed with them. I know it's past Easter. And it's nearly summer. But hey, Christmas is only 243 days away. Well, I suppose we ought to be counting down to something, don't we? But could the words of that Christmas carol be any more appropriate for us at this time? Because you know, the incarnation isn't just something that happened and means nothing and the crucifixion is just something that happened that means nothing. And the resurrection isn't just something that happened that means nothing. This is all part of the glorious chain of the salvation plan. And so why not we sing in our own voices to the perplexity even of our neighbors? O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the Easter angels, doesn't matter, whatever angels, the great glad tidings tell. Oh, Lord Jesus, come to us. Abide with us, stay with us. 
our Lord, Emmanuel. Stay with us. Meet with us. Friends, that is my personal prayer for each of you. Lord Jesus, be with these friends watching tonight. Be with this beloved people from Union Road and La Comfort. Come to us. Abide with us. O Lord, Emmanuel. That God himself would reveal to us himself through his word and through the ongoing love of his people and his presence that mends broken hearts and walks us through shattered dreams. Which leaves me with one final point. At the end of this story, these two guys are left, verse 32, with serious heartburn. Hear what they say? Were not our hearts burning within us while he taught with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They said, may we learn from him and may his loving, leading, gracious, resurrected presence burn deep in our hearts, my beloved ones, now and forevermore.